Hey there, good people in crypto land. I'm Matt Lysing, and this is my podcast, Decent People. Welcome back to the conversation. Today, we've got a special episode where we talked uh, on Twitter spaces with our reporter, Keegan Voice. Uh, he is uh, covering where Web3 and music intersect for us at Decentral. And Keegan uh, came to me uh, in January of this year uh, with a project where he wanted to explore copyright in a blockchain era where uh, if you can put a song on a blockchain like Ethereum and it's copyrighted, you can't take it down. It's there forever. That's one of the things about a blockchain. Whereas if you put something up on YouTube that's copyrighted, you could get a nasty letter from a lawyer telling you to take it down or YouTube would take it down itself. Uh, That doesn't happen with a blockchain. So there are new um, and interesting questions about how copyright can work in a blockchain world. And Keegan was also interested in how Bob Dylan sort of began in in the folk tradition of singing songs, you know, back in the 60s that were sort of out there in the ether. Uh, People would would sing songs that were commonly, you know, available. They would put their own spin on it. And that was just sort of the folk tradition. But what Dylan did was he copyrighted a bunch of those songs and included them in his music uh, library, excuse me. That library sold recently for upwards of $550 million. So not very folk of Dylan to do that. And that was one thing that got Keegan interested in this idea of, um, you know, where, where's the folk in that and where's the, the power to the people? So we, we spoke about that at length and um, other issues in copyright as, you know, a new technology comes along. Copyright is usually one of the first things that sort of interacts with it. So we get into that as well. With all that being said, uh, let's get to the episode. I hope you like it. As always, thanks for your, uh, you know, thanks for being here and thanks for the support that you're giving us. All right, hey there, everybody. I'm Matt Lysing. I am the editor in chief at Decentral Media, uh, a company I co-founded with my partner Neil Berkeley, who's also um, on this Spaces. We uh, have a great one today. This is a story we've been working on at Decentral. Uh, I looked it up today, Keegan, and you first pitched this idea in January. So um, well. it, it has been uh, 10 months, basically, of, of a lot of, of work and due diligence and all sorts of uh, side adventures and dead ends. and uh, But, you know... You persevered, and I think it's a fantastic piece of of journalism and of writing, and I think the Web3 space is better for it because it's a really in-depth and nuanced look at copyright in an era where a blockchain can make um, an infringement basically, you know, permanent. Uh, It's not something that you can take down off of a YouTube channel if it's on the Ethereum blockchain. It's there for good. So that's just one of the many things that we're going to get into today. But, you know, thanks for joining us uh, at Decentral. You know, we are really interested in telling these stories that aren't being told. We love to talk about people. We love to talk about the, the folks who are building Web3. And we love to ask these um, big questions like Keegan is asking today about where do things stand uh, with copyright and, and where is the balance between an open, permissionless blockchain and the need for creators and artists to still get paid for their work. So that's what we're going to jump into today. Um, 
I am joined by Keegan, uh, McKeegan Voice, uh, who goes by Keegan. Uh, he is a, a, one of our amazing writers. Um, he's, he's written about music and Web3 uh, and music in general for years. Um, so, Keegan, before we get started, why, why don't you just say a few things about yourself, and then um, we can kind of jump into it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Thank you, Matt. Um, you know, thank you for you know, creating this space. Uh, it, it has, you know, as you alluded to, has been a labor of love that has, you know, persisted now for the better part of a year, um, which has included, you know, the cooperation of a lot of different people, which I really appreciate. But, I mean, before we dive into that, I guess, you know, a little bit about myself, you know, one piece that is relevant is that from, from a small town in Minnesota, and that is relevant because we'll talk about Bob Dylan um, and that kind of connection, but uh, I've always been a music guy, I studied music in school, um, you know, became a music journalist, and wrote primarily about different music scenes, uh, especially uh, kind of the avant-garde and experimental scenes in New York, uh, mostly for Vice, uh, before kind of getting into the Web3 world. Um, I also have a music startup called Grey Matter, and, and, uh, which kind of exists uh, in the between Web2 and Web3. But yeah, getting into the Web3 world really... Uh, exposed me and, and, and helped transition my journalism from just kind of covering music scenes to covering the music industry um, and, uh, you know, things like the major labels and the issue of copyright, which is, is huge and complex, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around this this really huge complexity. It's a really huge complex system, but um, that's, that's why you let me write 9,000 words, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Um, yeah, there you go. Brings us to today. Yeah, that's great. And then, let's say, like, right at, at the top here, um, you know, you're not only just reporting on this story, you kind of dove in and practiced some kind of, I guess, what I'll call experiential journalism, where you wanted to take this to the next level and sort of, I don't know, the, make a proof of this of, of some sort, where you minted an NFT uh, that is a cover of a Bob Dylan song, um, which is going to go live very soon here, probably right after this spaces. So if anyone's interested, um, we'll give you some more information about that. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things I loved about this project was your ambition to not only delve into this um, as a writer, but to delve into it as an artist and as someone who is getting their hands dirty in, in the Web3 world with, you know, going through the process of minting an NFT. Um, so, Keegan, do, why don't you just tell us a little bit about that, um, and then we'll we'll kind of start telling the story of how this, this all came to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, as, as probably everybody knows here on, on this call, there's still a lot of you know, legal gray areas within the Web3 space. Um, and that is true of music as well and, 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 and kind of trying to understand what something like a music NFT is and how it should be treated um, as a new music format. Um, it doesn't really fit in, you know, in any of the pre-created boxes that, uh, you know, exist in the copyright system. Uh, and so, which, which, which means as there's kind of, you know, this gray area, there's, there's sort of an opportunity to, to create new precedents and, and experiment uh, you know, with the bounds of the system to, you know, kind of poke at it 
and provide commentary on why it's it doesn't you know necessarily work um, all that well. Uh, so that you know was part of the impetus be, you know behind wanting to record a cover you know, of this song. I also like have a personal connection with this song as as well. So it was like a a good excuse to get to play music and record something and experiment with the blockchain in a more personal way. And uh, that, that that sort of experiential aspect, I think, also, I, th I think that also brought me a lot closer to the piece and to the topic at hand, um, which I think was, you know, that all felt, that all felt important. Yeah. All right. Um, so I guess maybe I'll just like kick it off a little bit and then I'll, I'll uh, give it over to you, Keegan, to, to keep going. I think what I found fascinating about this is everyone knows Bob Dylan. Everyone, you know, knows what a legend he is. He won a Nobel Prize. You know, he's, he's often regarded as one of the greatest singer-songwriters of, of his generation. But, you know, he came out of the folk era where everything was sort of free game. And what I didn't realize was how much of, I guess, his early work and his early kind of mythos that he created about himself was um, kind of a, you know, it was a, it was a story. He was telling a story about who he wanted to be. And Keegan goes into this really well in the piece that we just published today um, on Decentral.io. So please take a read of that. And, but, um, so what, you know, he, he kind of built a lot of his catalog off of folk music that was out there and people were just playing it and, and nobody was like claiming ownership of it, but then he started copywriting a lot of, a lot of these songs that had been out in the sort of public domain. And, you know, where, where that became kind of problematic, I think Keegan, you, you would agree with this is when. Over the last few years, he has sold his, his catalog and his publishing rights for somewhere upwards of $500 million. And so, you know, from that early beginnings of, of being a folk artist and doing what folks were doing on the road back then and just sort of singing the songs that were out there to, you know, 50 years later, selling that catalog, which included a lot of those songs that he copyrighted for, you know, half a billion dollars, can be seen as as, as rather unfolk. <laughs> so, what, what you know? Let I'll just give it to you there because I I didn't know this about Dylan, and I found it really interesting, and, and and we'll delve deeper into it. But I think that was was that your kind of was that the itch you wanted to scratch? <laughs> uh, it's a good way to put it. Yeah, kind of. Um, I I think um, I mean you know Bob Dylan is from a small town in Minnesota, and so. Uh, from Hibbing, uh, and you know, I am also from a small town in Minnesota. So growing up, you know, Bob Dylan was just kind of the guy. He was like, you know, one of the hometown heroes. Like whenever you said you're from Minnesota, you said with, you know, you know, with pride. Like, you know, that's that's where Bob Dylan is from. And you know, of course, also Prince. But uh, yeah, and I think Bob Dylan, you know, kind of resented the normalcy of, you know, of his his upbringing, and I, I, I think that uh, I put a chip on his shoulder that kind of followed him, you know, around 
uh, you know, first to New York and just like, you know, was constantly creating stories for himself and, and, and you know, kind of like creating a mythos. Uh, he, he looked up to Woody Guthrie. He was, you know, he was kind of Bob Dylan's hero, his icon. And, and he started to lean his image in, 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 uh, in, in that direction. Um, and, you know, I think the first time that, that I encountered sort of, you know, the, this kind of artifice that Dylan was, was in college when I took a folk class and read this book called Positively Fourth Street, uh, which is about Dylan and a few other people. Um, is named after Dylan's song uh, that you know, really elucidates this artifice very well. Um, and it was really disillusioning um, to me reading that. And it's not something that I really pursued after that, aside from reading the book, but you know, Bob Dylan, you know, as an image, as, as an icon, always felt very different to me after that. And, uh, yeah, I think when coming into, uh, you know, like into the blockchain, into Web3, and specifically I'm getting involved with the kernel community, uh, you know, which is like a peer-to-peer -peer learning environment that, that, that is dedicated, you know, you know, to building a better web together. Uh, and, and, you know, we introduced to a few people. One of them is on this call, Glenn. Hey. <laughs> um, and, and, and we kind of rallied around this idea of folk, what it means to, to be part of the folk. Um, this idea that uh, it's, it's like a trans, yeah, I guess in the case of music, it's, but you, you know, all other kinds of art forms is as well, it's you know, very transmissive. It is uh, collectively created and cared for. And you know, as we dived into this kind of understanding and, and then like you know, taking all this in and reflecting on Bob Dylan and when he was making music, it, that's when this, this sort of dichotomy you know, kind of presented itself in my mind is, um, you know, he built his own canon on this tradition that, you know, that existed for a long time before him. Um, and, you know, there's literally a Wikipedia page in, you know, of Bob Dylan songs that, that he took from other people, uh, you know, essentially in terms of like key melodies and harmonies and, you know, different lyrics. And there are 32 of them, you know, all together. And, you know, I think rationally it makes sense for, for, that attribution to be shared, but because of the system of copyright, Dylan was able to copyright them to his own name, um, uh, which, you know, through that behavior, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, and to your point, ultimately, over the past couple of years, he sold his music for more than a half billion dollars, and, and that kind of dissonance of you know, building on this you know, very transmissive collective tradition but having individual ownership of something and be able to to accumulate all of this wealth, uh, and that felt very that felt very unfair. Is that some context? Yeah, and I I think one one of the more fascinating parts of your story uh, that really resonated with me was, you know, it's his contempt like Dylan's contemporaries kind of level this criticism at him. I think most effectively and. I just wanted to read a couple quotes from, from it. 
just to sort of like kind of get it out there that we're not just saying this, this is like out there in the record and people have, you know, sort of taken Dylan to task for this for, for quite a while. Um, but so the first one, um, was a guy named Oscar Brand, who was a folk singer, a songwriter and a radio host. Um, and, and he was quoted in Hadji's book, Positively Fourth Street that you mentioned. And he said, speaking of Dylan, he said, he came on my radio show and said nothing but lies about his life. He was afraid he couldn't compete and afraid he wasn't good enough, so he lied. And that made him afraid he would be caught and we would judge him. Another one is from um, a little more famous, uh, Joni Mitchell, who uh, was being interviewed by the LA Times in 2010. And um, she said, you know, basically she was doubting his authenticity. And she said, quote, Bob is not authentic at all. He's a plagiarist, and his name and voice are fake. Everything about Bob is a deception. We are like night and day, he and I. So, you know, I, I kind of took that to heart, and I think people of his generation, I don't think, would come at Dylan like that if, if you know, he hadn't rubbed them the wrong way in, in many different ways, I think. Um, so... You know, that's not to say that he wasn't an amazing artist and is, is an amazing artist and songwriter. It's just like you said, why should somebody come from a folk background and then get that insane payday? And, and so that sort of, I think, sets you up for what you wanted to accomplish here. And, and that, that's another thing about the ambition that I love in this project is that the NFT you're minting and hoping to sell is, is not for your own gain, but you're going to be putting that money back into projects in the on-chain music world that are trying to decentralize and are trying to um, get back to that kind of folk tradition where everybody can benefit um, from this music. It's a transition from a folk like Dylan to the folk like everybody that you make in the piece, that point you make several times. Um, so it, like maybe you could tell us a little bit more now Keegan about just the complexities here of, of the copyright law and you know how that's been used over the decades to sort of keep the powers that be the major record labels and, and others in the music industry in power when all these new formats come out like maybe it's uh, a digital tape or an mp3 or a now an nft because i think that through line is, is really interesting and, and i think what we're getting at here is maybe blockchain and web3 is an opportunity to to try to take things in a different direction for the first time in a, in a long while yeah um yeah again in, you know i'll reiterate that that uh you know the entire system of music copyright is incredibly complex and you know, unnecessarily so. And um, I, I'm by no means an expert, and I've had you know to kind of rack my brains and talk to a lot of people who are experts, um, and hear from them the same things. Like this is incredibly complex. Even for me, I still have to try to wrap my head around it. Um, and and yeah, I think I think the sort of the core reason that that is is is. Um, Because of copyright and and people, you know, trying to shoehorn solutions that reference 
this very antiquated system rather than than actually updated. Um, so just you know, for some context, within music, like uh, there are two distinct pieces of copyright. There is one for the composition and then one for the recording. Um, and both pieces have two primary stakeholders. For the composition, it is the composer and the publisher. And for the recording, it's the artist and or performer, and as well as the record label. Um, and those can be further subdivided if there are you know, multiple songwriters, publishers, artists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what happens to those songs and, and, and you know, all the financial elements that, that are attached to them in, in order to route uh, you know, any earnings from an artist um, uh, from our years back to the artists and the stakeholders is where this like, incredibly complex web in a kind of emergence, and it's all contingent upon, um, you know, different layers of ownership and different kinds of music consumption. Whether it's like like a digital download uh, versus listening to something on the radio versus a stream, um, how music is consumed is is that also affects uh, kind of the financial gain. Yeah, and like how money is routed through the system. Um, and, 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 you know, over the years, there have been, you know, as you said, there have, have obviously been a number of new formats. Um, and they, they, you know, have threatened to, to upend, I think, uh, kind of the controlling hierarchy uh, because of concerns of duplication. Um, Things like copyright—it's basically copyright infringement—and you know, with the digital system, obviously, it's much easier to duplicate. So, um, like, there was an MP3 player that came out in the late '90s, and you know, that was sued by the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America. Um, you know, obviously, everyone here will be familiar with, with like the Napsters and the LimeWires of the world. At, what, at one point, the RIAA. Um, actually filed an, actually filed an injunction against LimeWire and sued them, and they tried to sue them for seventy two trillion dollars, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is more than you know more than the GDP of the entire planet. Um, so it's safe to say that scared the shit out of them. Yeah, I guess, uh, and and that's kind of the idea. Like they you know scared but, the shit out of them. But isn't it isn't it fascinating that they like they've done this a few times now where they took that idea of Napster and like streaming and just kind of inverted it a little bit and turned it into, you know, Spotify where the, the labels are now in control and artists are getting, you know, kind of still, they're, they're still getting screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, if you look into like the history of Spotify, which, which came around 2006, a few years after this, this was happening, I think uh, you know, the injunction happened against LimeWire was in 2001, I believe. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there there are some, you know, some stories, you know, that are, that are somewhat believable that Spotify was, like, its initial servers were, uh, you know, partially developed by music that, that was pirated. And, um, yeah, to your point, it, it, it really isn't all that different. It, it, it made something that was illegal, um, it's something that was illegal legal, but 
uh, you know, from the perspective of the artist, whether something is, you know, whether a song is being pirated or being streamed doesn't really make a whole lot of difference today. I mean, uh, you know, I think the median artist on Spotify, uh, or, or no, sorry, it's a, what is this, that 98.6% of artists on Spotify are making like $36 a quarter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which isn't, isn't sustainable, obviously. Uh, it doesn't really incentivize you to pursue a, you know, a career in music. Um, but we've, so we've talked about this a lot in your coverage because I think in music more than other art forms right now where they intersect with Web3, there's a lot of resistance and there's a lot of questions. Um, I think a lot of musicians rightly see... NFTs and Web3 is sort of scammy. And, and so it, it's, it's not, I mean, I think if you compared it to say like digital art, you know, it hasn't quite given the underlying artists like this new path um, in, in the music world. So, but how do you hope that that might change? And, and how do you, because one of the p bigger points you make in your story is that on-chain music can create communities and they can, um, you know, it, it can kind of get back to an idea of shared values rather than everything accruing to individuals. Am I summarizing that correctly or how would you, what's your hope there in, in that, ter in those terms? Yeah. I mean, I think that, that was definitely one of the things that first attracted me to Web3 was, you know, basically basically the DAO and like, you know, watching friends with benefits uh, kind of evolve in real time and, and, and you know, kind of envisage this world in which like you can use a token and a shared vision to kind of realign platform incentives around like the creation of whatever you want. Um, you know, hopefully that those are good things like, you know, community and other public goods. Um, and, and that, you know, kind of agency at the community level, I think is, is really powerful um, and you know of course decentralization is one of the superpowers of the blockchain as well as you know, like immutability uh, as well as provenance uh, so just from you know that perspective it's, it's like you know pretty fitting to uphold the traditional folk which uh, you know when you think about it is is like a relatively decentralized medium but you know relatively decentralized tradition in that it, it there really isn't the same uh, you know, concept of IP. It, it, it is collectively created and cared for, you know, across the community, um, and and in the process of archival, and and actually like you know, actually passing along these traditions is really important as well. So, of course, the blockchain, because of its of its immutability and provenance, is um, uh, you know a very good archival mechanism as well. Um, so yeah, I think from a high level, that's the connection there. Keegan, the, the, the question around, I mean, to me, it's always, whether you're talking about CC zero or decentralized distribution, it always comes back to artists wanting to know either how they get paid or how they benefit. And I understand the idea of community and building a brand, but the basics of let's say if someone wants to make music 
that's CC zero, how, how, how can they strategize getting, uh, ha- having a living? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, and like speaks to this, <laughs> this, I, I, I think the kind of, you know, foundational question of like, how, like, how can we take something like the blockchain without harming creators who are still relying on copyright to earn money? Um, and I think, you know, I think in a lot of ways, this is, this is all cut from the same cloth as like the creative commons sort of work, uh, you know, who created this, this kind of suite of licenses so that there would be, uh, more middle grounds between, uh, you know, the extremes of all rights reserved, um, which is kind of the copyright system that like the creative industries are largely built to use and then like the public domain, um, and there are all, all, all different types of attributions and, and types of protections that you, you, know, you can use these licenses to exist and, in, in, uh, you know, have like a more nuanced, uh, n- nuanced protection of your music. Because, uh, you know, the reason that something like All Rights Reserved might not be uh, that appealing to a creator is because it also limits how people how people can use, you know, you are how they, how people can distribute it. Um, and if it, if it's, you know, very difficult to freely distribute your music, then you're not going to have as many people actually hear it. Um, so, you know, Creative Commons, I think, was trying to balance between, like, you know, creative protection, but also, uh, uh, you know, the, the ease of access to information. Um, so I, I think like, a, you know, in terms of the blockchain, like someone, like, I think the blockchain that, uh, can use something like, like CC zero, which is, which is the, you know, like the loosest, um, most open form of creative commons license, which allows creators to, you know, waive all copyright and related rights, um, making it available to the public domain by connecting it to the blockchain, um, so there's this artist, uh, Super Tight Woody, uh, for you know, for example, who has done some work with uh, Decentral. Um, he, he released Noun Sounds, um, which is part of the Nouns DAO, uh, which was a music, you know, platform focused on providing free to use music for creators. And he released a bunch of his own music there, uh, because conceivably the blockchain can complement can. And complement the objectives of Creative Commons by providing a secure and transparent way to enforce and manage licensing agreements. Uh, you know, for example, blockchain-based platform can you know track usage of Creative Commons licensed content and then automatically distribute royalties to to creators. Um, in which case, the art moves with ease, and then the value accrues via the art's cultural impact. And when you consider something like the internet, which is naturally mimetic and encourages uh, uh, free-moving information, uh, and that people are constantly using as memes and iterating and and, and then iterating upon. You know, it makes sense to lean into that as long as we have a mechanism to track um, that. So that's something he's done. You know, for instance, he told me uh, I'm going to talk about Super Tight Woody uh, that. This is his quote, which is, you know, also in the article. This, this NFT is on the blockchain, so you can prove that you own the original. So if you encourage people to use it, like, hey, go remix this, use my loops, you can go sample it, 
then you know the proliferation kind of becomes the marketing of those assets and then adds value back to the original. Um, so I think that's a you know pretty strong example of how you know something like this can be used with the blockchain pretty effectively. Yeah, this came up on a spaces we had last week because <clears throat> I, I think I think that's really. And I'm surprised, maybe there are platforms that are doing it, but the idea of decentralized distribution, um, I mean, the closest there is right now, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but still YouTube, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, there, it's, I'm surprised that no one has built a platform that does that, but also welcomes advertisers, well, that welcomes subscribers, um, but also has... Uh, well, I think, um, what about IPFS? The interplanetary file system is—is is that a distribution system or is that just a decentralized database, or is there a difference? It's <laughs> a good question. I'm definitely not, not the expert on IPFS, and have only used it as as kind of a backend storage device. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there there are some examples of like Web three or you know, blockchain-based platforms in which you can just you know, put whatever you want. <laughs> um, you can distribute your art as as you see fit. But obviously, there are some complications with that, like you don't own the rights to it. Um, but, you know, I think it is one of the powers of the blockchain. It's like, you know, you put whatever you want on it. You can distribute your content there kind of, you know, however you see fit. It does seem like an opportunity for someone like that's just massive, like a Taylor Swift or a Drake, to create an ecosystem. Because anyone that entered that and put music on it would obviously have that association. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think if someone at that level could do it. Uh, just, just again, just by being a part of that community, part of that club, and contributing to it, you just, especially the first people in. Um, I'm kind of surprised none of them have tried to do something like that. Whether it's a, there was, or a platform or something that's decentralized that, that allows people to put their art on and distribute and collect royalty. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, some of like the music NFT platforms are are doing that, but it's it, it's. I mean, the issue is like you kind of. Yeah, I guess you know. I think you're talking about kind of a hybrid system, which you know you know allows you to balance copyright with. Uh, uh, with you know, like the decentralized nature of you know, like using smart contracts and the, and like the ability to use smart contracts to to distribute royalties, etc. Um, and I think that's that that has been baked in uh, to some smart contracts to generate splits to existing right you know, to existing rights holders. Um, I mean, there have been like a couple a couple examples on on the platform. Um, it's a, a called, called another block, which has kind of falsely advertised, you know, like a Justin Bieber drop and like a Rihanna drop, and it was really one of the producers who had a very, 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 very small, you know, percentage of the uh, future royalties of that actually sell those future actually actually fractionalize further um, the future royalties future royalty shares of streaming income um, across a group of people, which, uh, you know, it doesn't work very well because streaming royalties don't, they're already very fractionalized, in, you know, across a lot of different stakeholders within kind of the legacy industry. But I think one of the, 
the interesting you know, examples was Grimes. Um, she she built in and then at least elf tech. Um, and this is you know kind of where AI comes into the picture as well, which was a blockchain connected platform that that open sources Grimes creative self, um, like you know basically her voice, uh, and she she open sourced it to to anyone that wanted to create music using her voice, uh, but through the blockchain was able to set up a fifty percent split you know of the revenue of any successful AI generated song that used her voice. Uh, so you know that's a really nice balance I think of like you can go use my likeness, but the blockchain is going to protect my likeness by routing you know a split back to me for anyone who actually uses it um, you know in like a commercially successful way. And didn't the record companies kind of perk up at that in a way because they saw oh that, that might that might be good for us is it, am I interpreting that correctly? I don't know. I mean, I, I think I don't know know a ton about Grimes' history. I think I think she's I think she owns all the rights to her music. I don't I don't know if there are labels involved. Uh, so I, I think that made it very easy for her. <clears throat> um, but I mean, there have been some other people who have you know, playing who have played around with decentralizing their likeness, you know, examples like Holly Herndon, um, who built Holly Dow, and, and she kind of, you know, sees a future, and I, I think we're starting to experience it, where it's very difficult to, to control your own likeness. People can take a picture of you um, and turn it into, uh, you know, whatever they want, you know, using AI. So in order to protect her likeness, she built a DAO around it, um, you know, basically around her voice, which, which again helps to protect her likeness in a way that is more, is more mimetic and kind of works with the core mechanics of the internet. Yeah. Um, so can you t just talk a little bit about um, folk um, and what, what the goal there is, and then um, a little bit more on, you know, you you want to be splitting all the proceeds of this NFT to that that would go to folk and a few other decentralized on-chain music kind of startups and projects. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think you know, folk is kind of a reflection of all of these things that that we've been talking about. Just basically, you know, copyright made do a good job of protecting individuals' create, you know, creative contributions, but it does little to, to represent our reality as you know, interdependent, interwoven communities. Um, and that's especially true in, in our digital reality, uh, which is inherently abundant and mimetic. Uh, so, so you know, folk is, is an embrace of that connectedness, and we're a collective that, that is focused you know, on tracing ancient folk relationships and methodologies in order to embed them into a new common infrastructure and cultural flow. Um, so, you know, trying to resurrect you know, some of the folk methodologies, again, using uh, these very aligned uh, called traits, you know, of blockchain um, that, uh, in, you know, in, in order to to uphold 
you know, that tradition. And so <clears throat> in, in terms of this, you know, in this project, you know, folk came together uh, you know, through Kernel and, and, you know, we've been working on it, uh, you know, basically as long as this piece has, has been coming together. Um, and that is you know, kind of the four core of, of us. Just want to give shouts to, uh, to uh, Glenn Pope, who's on this call, Kyle Smith, as well as Adam Lieber, um, and some others have definitely contributed to to what has come together today. And we're also going to, you know, today we're actually publishing a manifesto and talking about how how this Bob Dylan experiment is kind of the first um, in what we hope is an entire series of experiments um, in in which we support the open sharing of knowledge and creative works. Uh, to you know, resist the idea of scarcity, uh, to uh, uh, try and challenge the bounds of the system that that uh, that that are so limiting that openness. Um, and you know, for all of these initiatives, all the raised funds will be split across um, you know contributing artists as well as the folk treasury um, and aligned partner organizations. And I mean, the folk treasury will be used to support subsequent experiments and artists and stewards who are caring, you know, for our world and, you know, for our histories. And, you know, especially in the spirit of this, you know, like of this experiment in, in which, you know, I'm commenting on the cognitive dissonance of Bob Dylan, kind of, you know, he's espousing all these folk views and, has done so his entire life, continues to do so, um, but uh, you know, unfairly, also he unfairly accumulates all all this wealth. Uh, like, like you know, nobody needs you know, a half billion dollars. <laughs> um, so the idea is in this experiment is to try to to take something that he helps create through the folk tradition. Um, and use that as an experiment on the blockchain to raise funds and redistribute the wealth to other communities who uh, are doing work that that is referencing the folk tradition. Uh, so, for this first experiment, where you know we've created splits, we will create splits for the NFT that um, are being routed to, to Akia DAO and all genre. Uh, uh, Colonel's uh, song camp, uh, um, as well as water and music. Um, so those are our first five partners for this one. They'll each receive 10% of all of the NFT sales, and the other 50% will go into the full treasure to be used, you know, for other experiments like this. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, and as I understand it, currently the the drop is still being worked on. Do you do you expect that to be live soon? Yeah, it'll be it'll be live in the next couple hours um, for you know, for anyone listening who's interested. Cool. And what's the platform people should go to to, to look for that? It'll um, be we're doing it uh, on the Optimism blockchain, but uh, through Zora. So it'll be on Zora, and we'll also publish our manifesto through Mirror, um, which will also have a link you know to the NFTs. Okay. And the so. I don't think we've mentioned this, but the cover song that you did is, is Girl from the North Country by Dylan. Mm -hmm. Is that 
Is that how people find this, or what? What is the the title of it? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So the title of the NFT is actually "This Machine Kills Copyright," <laughs> um, and that's you know that's also the title of the piece that I wrote for Decential, um, and that you know as well as encapsulating all the things that that we've been talking about today as a reference to Bob Dylan as well. Um, as I mentioned earlier, his icon growing up, um, you know, his kind of coming of age icon was Woody Guthrie, who, you know, very famously had a sticker on his acoustic guitar that says this machine was uh, fascists. Um, so it's, it's also a reference to, you know, to that. Yeah. Thank you, Keegan, for this. It's been fascinating. And, and again, congratulations on the piece. Uh, it was many Thank months of, of hard work and perseverance. And I think it's a uh, fantastic uh, piece of research and piece of writing and piece of activism and sort of, you know, like I said, getting your hands dirty with the Web3 mechanics of things. So I think, you know, I don't want to embarrass you, but I think the space is, is better for things like this and projects like this that you're, you're taking on. So thank you very much. Um, everybody listening, please go check out the, the NFT on Zora. Read the piece by Keegan on Decentral.io. Um, and, you know, follow us on Twitter for more of this kind of reporting and, and investigations into um, the people and the big ideas that are all making, you know, Web3 um, such an interesting space, um, both, you know, in the ups and the downs. So, thank yeah. You, yeah, Keegan, thank you so much. And, and Neil, thank you for being here. And, and thank, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we will be back next week with another Spaces and uh, just keep Keep an eye on our Twitter and, and Decentral.io for more um, of this kind of stuff to come.